If you have your Bibles open to the book of 2 Thessalonians, and let's go to chapter 2, and I'm going to finish off this series on uh, the upper room that I've been preaching. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm just going to take my time. Last week I taught a lot, and this week I'm just going to take my time and walk through something. When I began preaching this series, um, I wanted to do a series on the Holy Spirit, and I, I, I wanted to do it. I want to do several things. First of all, I wanted to talk about the power of praying in the Spirit. So I did that the first Sunday. The second Sunday, I dealt with the power of prophesying in the Spirit because those are two of the ninefold gifts of the Spirit that we don't often teach on enough, I think, or at least not in the modern day. You know, there was great teaching in the, in the history of Pentecost. There was great teaching in the charismatic renewal, but I don't think there's been a lot of great, I don't know, I don't, we need it taught today. Let's put it that way. And, and also, those two gifts are probably mentioned more than any others in the New Testament concerning spiritual gifts. And those two gifts also are available to anybody in the body. Everyone can speak in tongues. Everyone can prophesy. Not everyone's a prophet. And not everyone has a gift of tongues in the congregation. But everyone can have a prayer language. And everyone can prophesy as the Spirit allows you or enables you to. As he wills, right? So when we come, we bring the whole toolbox of the Holy Spirit, all nine spiritual gifts, everything that go, everything, anything that God wants in that toolbox, he can pull out and use through us, but we have to release it in accordance to the proportion and in proportion to our faith. So it's all based on our faith. So you have to release these things by faith. But I wanted to deal with one more issue that we don't talk about much in relation to the Holy Spirit, and that is how the Holy Spirit helps us to live holy. He is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit should be helping us to live holy, right? The Holy Spirit lives, helps us live holy. He is the uh, Spiritus Sanctus, the holy, sanctified spirit. So I want to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the subject of holiness for a few moments this morning. Look at 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 13. And the books of Thessalonians are the oldest of Paul's. And the two books were probably written within weeks of each other. And they're written to an audience in Thessalonica where that was probably influenced by charismatic teachers coming through there who taught some things Paul didn't agree with. So what Paul is doing is he's writing, correcting some of those things and answering some questions these people had. One of the problems they had is they had been taught that Jesus had already come and that all those who had died... Well, number one, that he'd already come. Or number two, that those who had died when he did come would miss out on the coming of the Lord. So Paul goes back and corrects those things. And he says, no, he hasn't come yet. You haven't had the Antichrist yet. No, he hasn't come yet. And when he does come, when he comes, all of the dead are going to rise first. So he's correcting these issues in there. And then once he walks through those, he throws this in. Chapter 2, verse 13 of 2 Thessalonians. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He chose you for sanctification, or for salvation rather, through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. 
holiness. Holiness. Sometimes we have such a negative connotation in our mind of holiness because of the way maybe some of us were raised or the legalistic uh, rules and regulations a lot of us endured or maybe you saw a lot of people who were supposedly holy who didn't live too holy. And it put a burn in you to the whole subject of holiness. But uh, I want to tr- hopefully remove that from your life this morning and show you the beauty of it in Scripture. That holiness really is a beautiful thing. C.S. Lewis said, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. There was a 19th century Scottish theologian named John Brown who said, holiness does not consist in mystic speculations, enthusiastic fervors, or uncommanded austerities. It consists in thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. Thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. I've been reading recently some Pentecostal scholars who have gone back to the works of John Wesley and are looking at Wesley's doctrine of holiness as it relates to the Pentecostal movement. And it's been really blessing me because Wesley, of course, was the founder of Methodism he didn't want, he was an Anglican priest. He didn't want his followers to break from the Anglican church, but they did after his death and formed the Methodist Church of America. But anyhow, Wesley was such an amazing, uh, amazing father in the faith. And he said, you know, that justification, being born again, is really just the front door to the house. It's really just the front door to the house. That's how you come in the house. But the rest of the Christian life is exploring the house, exploring the rooms of the house. And what that is is walking into his love and experiencing the depths of his love and the power of his love and spending the rest of your life pursuing him. Can somebody say amen? Matter of fact, these guys said Wesley wouldn't necessarily ask, are you born again? He would ask, why are you born again? What are you born again for? Are you just born again to have that experience so you can go to heaven? Or are you born again so you can pursue the heart of God and the presence of Jesus the rest of your days? Did you get married just so you could have a wedding? Well, or did you get married so you could live the rest of your life with somebody you're madly in love with? And I'm getting no help from husbands or wives or anybody this morning. Come on, somebody. Shout hallelujah. You know, if you're sitting next to your spouse, you're supposed to answer that like, yes, hallelujah. I will. <laughs> Yet, we don't get born again just for the experience of getting born again, though that's amazing. And we've made that so much in the modern evangelical movement. I just want to open up your mind to realize serving Jesus is good. Living the Christian life is good. It gets better every day. It gets sweeter every day. It gets richer every day. 
I've experienced his love more and more. And even though I've experienced, I think, a lot of the love of God, I know I have only experienced a drop of, of an ocean of his love. I think we're going to experience it all through eternity. I just think God is so unfathomable that we're going, to, we're going to get to heaven and explore the depths of His love the rest of our lives throughout eternity. Don't you? It's never going to, going to grow old. Hallelujah. Holiness. Holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul said, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject men, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. God didn't call you to uncleanness. He called you to holiness. Holiness is a calling. It's a calling. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, to all who are in Rome, he began the letter this way, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. That's your calling. Your calling is to be a saint. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to the Corinthian church, and we, knew, we know all the problems the Corinthians had. He calls them out on several problems they had, big sins they had. But nonetheless, he writes to them in chapter 1, verse 2, and says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. 2 Timothy 1.9, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. It is holy. And not only are we called to holiness, but holiness must be lived out in, the real, in real time, in the here and now. 1 Peter 1.15, But he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 1 Thessalonians 3.13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God our Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And then finally, that beautiful verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.32, now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord. So people, you are called to holiness. You're called to be a saint. And I believe the Bible teaches us that the saints are those who have been sanctified. It comes from the same word, hagios in the Greek for holy. Holy, holiness, sanctified, saints, all in the same word grouping. And so if you're called, you're called to be a saint. You don't have to be declared a saint by the church. Yes. So look at your neighbor and ask them their first name. And say, well, hello, St. Bob. I know I'm being funny, but it's you were called to be a saint. Hello, St. Mike, Michael. You're called to be a saint, right? It's your calling. Your calling isn't to get saved and live at the lowest capacity of the Christian life possible. Your calling isn't to get saved and learn as little as necessary just to make it in the gates. Your calling as a saint isn't to be saved and just pray just enough to skate across the finish line 
and make it to heaven. You are destined for a life of abundance. Jesus said you'll have life and life to the full or life more abundantly. He's called you to an abundant life, a life of holiness, a life of exploring his love, a life of being consumed with the love of Jesus, a life full in the spirit. Come on, can somebody say amen? You are called to holiness. What is holiness? Let me get all these prerequisites out of the way. Holiness in the Hebrew understanding means to cut. Kadosh means to cut. And what it means is to cut away. It means a separation. So God is called holy in Scripture. He is, Exodus 15 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Meaning, God, you are so other. You are so separate from any other God, from any other spiritual entity in this realm we live in. You are so other, you are holy. And the same thing comes with God's people. God calls His people to a cutting away or a separation. He says in Deuteronomy 7, 6, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you as a people for Himself, a special treasure above all peoples on the face of the earth. Now this was Israel, we understand but Israel was a missionary prototype nation of the New Testament church. So what God did in type and shadow in Israel, He does in reality, in real time with us. So they were called to be separate among the nations. We are called to be separated unto His use and His purposes. Because when something was separated for God, it was no longer used for common purpose. It was used for His purposes. So when you're saved and God sanctifies you, He sets you apart, and you're marked as His. Now you're His special possession, His unique treasure. You are the apple of His eye. And God is jealous over you. You know, the apple of the eye is an ancient way of saying it's the pupil, and the pupil, if you want to protect any part of your body, you're going to protect your eyes. And it's the way God feels about His people. He is jealous over His people and He protects His own because His love is so great for you. And just as He told Israel, He said, I didn't call you because you were more numerous than all other people. I didn't call you because you were the greatest. I called you because I loved you. And God didn't call you into the kingdom by accident, number one, you aren't here by accident this morning. God has designed this service, and you, you weren't called into the kingdom because you were so smart, you were so wealthy, you were so talented, you were so all that in a bag of chips. God called you simply because His love was upon you. And that's the way it's supposed to roll here. That is the give and take relationship. We love Him and He loves us. And the Trinity exists, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in a love dynamic. And that is a a, a community of love that is representative of the love He has for us and the love we're to have for one another. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. When you, uh, why am I doing all this marriage stuff? When you are so in love with your spouse, you don't want anybody else. Amen. 
I'm giving you guys the golden opportunity, man, right here to be like, yes, praise God, preach it, brother. I, really, if you're so in love with your spouse, you don't want anybody else. No one can compare. I heard Chuck Swindoll say this years ago. He said he was preaching somewhere, and he got in a hotel, and he got in an elevator, and these two beautiful women walked uh, on the elevator. This was Chuck Swindoll. And he said they looked at him and said, what floor are you going to? He said, I got so much at home, I can't even handle what I have at home. I don't need you ladies. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. God, once we fall so in love with him, you don't, nothing else satisfies. Once you fall so in love with him, nothing else can satisfy that longing in your heart but him. He has a love so strong. It has pulled us out. It has rescued us. It has pulled us out of the miry clay. It's taken us out of the addictions and habits and pa patterns of our former life. And now we've been washed and we've been cleansed. And now we can't get enough of Jesus. And we love him so much. We want more and more and more and more and more. And I'm, 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 I'm satisfied, but I'm not satisfied. Hallelujah. I'm in love with Jesus, but I want more of the love of Jesus. I've experienced his presence, but I want more of the presence of God. I've experienced the glory, but I want more of the glory. I've experienced touches of his glory, but I want to live in his glory. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Holiness is separation. J. Rodman Williams, a theologian I studied under, said, since God is thus separate from all else, his people are a people separated to him and separate apart from the rest of mankind. You're unique. Holiness is simply separation. Not necessarily separation from the world, but separation from the way the world acts. In an effort to live a holy life, it means that we should be deliberate in being distinct from those who do not know Christ. Our God is different. He's different from all other so-called gods. Therefore, we must live in according to His will and give Him all of the glory. Can somebody shout amen? amen. You're a chosen generation, Peter said. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So holiness is a cutting away or a separation. But not only that, holiness also means a purification. There's a purifying element to holiness. That's why Christ came. One of the reasons He came was to purify people. Titus 2.14, He gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous for works. There is a purification that comes when Jesus comes into your heart. And then there is a perfection. And we've made a lot of this word, and it's become a no-no and a negative word in the church, but I want to bring it back. God has called us to perfection. Jesus said, therefore you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Perfect doesn't necessarily mean moral perfection. We can't do anything wrong. We're not capable of doing anything wrong. Some of the holiness people taught that in the end. I mean, in the past. That if you were sanctified, it means you could no longer sin. Well, that's not true. And we found out from some of their lives it wasn't true. It doesn't mean you can't sin anymore. It means that now God has taken dominion over that principle of sin in your life. 
that now it shall not have dominion over you any longer. It doesn't really, it's not your master anymore. Sin is not your master anymore. I don't believe in this theology. You've got, got to sin a little bit every day and don't say, well, nobody's perfect. You know? How about let's not downplay our potential anymore? How about let's not speak negatively of what God's done in us because technically the New Testament term uh, per- perfect is teleos, which means maturity or an end. So God is leading us to maturity, or should be, and we're growing in sanctification. We're growing in holiness, and we should really, I'm, I want to be honest with you, you're holy the moment God saves you. Because now you're marked as His, you're set apart from Him, for Him. But you should grow into that outworking of holiness for the rest of your days. So we should be better at 80 than we were at 50. Preach it, Brother Hess. Come on. We should be growing in love. We should be growing in the fruits of the Spirit. We should be growing in the things of the Spirit. Can we say amen? amen. Wow. Okay. So, so how does the Spirit help us in this pursuit of holiness? I'm going to give you three ways the Spirit helps us. How does the Spirit help us in the pursuit of holiness? First of all, the Spirit starts working on the inside. He comes on the inside. And he works on the outside. He works from the inside out. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Paul is talking about your person. You are now the temple of God. And now God has come to reside in you. And it's a super cool thing that now he's not just a God out there or like in other religions, it's not just a God we go bow down before as a statue. It's just not not a God we visit. He's not a God who just visits us. He's a God who comes and as we open the doors of our heart, he comes inside and dwells on the inside. And once he starts living in you, it starts changing everything about you. Your thoughts start changing. Your patterns and habits start changing. And you start uh, feeling convicted over things that maybe you weren't convicted over before. And you start experiencing things you never experienced before. Because now you're awakened to the truth. I mean, people talk about awakening and enlightenment and all that and other religions. I'm telling you what, Jesus is the real enlightenment. He is the true light, as my friend Mike Shreve says. He comes into your heart and he lights up everything because now you you had this empty space within you, this throne that you were sitting on. And once you accept Christ, you get off the throne and you welcome him in. He sits on the throne and he takes over the kingdom of your soul. And now he moves in the house and everything changes. How many of all, y'all have ever had children? How many of you remember bringing the baby home to the house? Everything changed. Sleep no more. Hallelujah. Quiet no more. Right? You, you, I mean, it's a beautiful thing, but the whole house changes when you bring a baby in. How much more when God comes in? 
God comes into your heart, everything starts to change, and He moves in and starts on the inside working through the soul, working through the mind, will, emotions, and then He works on to the outside. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is then He prepares you to receive truth and more truth. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, but the natural man does not receive the things of God or the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So when we're walking without God in our heart, we don't have the full capacity of discernment. We don't have the full ability to accept the truth of God. But once the Holy Spirit comes inside, he opens us up and we become like a magnet for truth. And then God starts pouring truth into us and we start growing according to the truth. What did the first verse say that I began with this morning? He says, you're sanctified by the Spirit and belief in the truth. That's what salvation is. Belief in the truth and sanctification in the Spirit. Can someone shout hallelujah? Hallelujah. Is anybody getting anything out of this? So the Holy Spirit opens you, He comes inside, and He opens you up to receive the truth of God. That's why we can't get enough preaching. I don't know a true on fire believer I've ever heard in uh, 36, 37 years of serving the Lord just say, man, I just hate preaching. I hate Bible teaching. No, when you've got the Spirit of God in you, you're like, come on, man, I can't get enough. I want to hear the word of God. I want the word to light me up. I want to get into I want to read some Christian books. I want to listen to some YouTube videos. I want to get I want to get everything I can get. That's the spirit in you working holiness in you and opening up and expanding your heart to receive all that God has for you. Oh, aren't you thankful for his love that he does that to us? Come on, aren't you thankful he just didn't say, uh, well, I just don't care about you. You can live it your own way. Get there how you want to. Get whatever truth you can get. No, he comes and he says, I love you so much. I'm going to open you up and the rest of my life I'm going to pour truth and truth and truth and revelation into you so you can grow and expand and expand and expand. Final thing is then the Holy Spirit, once he comes in, he opens us to truth, then he starts growing, he does, he starts growing fruit in our lives. He starts growing fruit in our lives. Now, I'm not a great farmer. I'm not a great gardener. I grew great weeds. Weed farmer, no. I just, I can do it, but I just didn't give it attention. I could be great. I'm going to start speaking better of myself. I could be great. I gave attention to it. So I wanted some grapevines. So I planted some Concord grapevines. And they grew. They grew like crazy. And they got all mangled up. And they were just like a grapevine jungle. But they produced. But some dear brothers in this church saw my plight and came to my rescue. And they came over and staked that grapevine for me and sent a man over who knew what he was doing and pruned that thing back and took it almost all away. Well, now, <clears throat> I wish I had a picture this morning of my grapevines right now. It looks like I'm in Italy. <laughs> it's amazing how they've grown. It took someone who knew what they were doing to come and cut back 
all the wild stuff. Somebody to start pruning back all of the stuff that was hindering the full potential of growth. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. Despise not when he comes in and starts pruning back stuff in our lives. And he starts pulling off the dead branches and cutting off those little sprouts. And he gets back to the root system. And then he stakes your soul so it can grow and it can flourish. Hallelujah. That's why Christians are resilient. Once we walk through a season of pruning or even go through trials, we come back better. We come back stronger. We come back more on fire. Come on, somebody. Can you shout hallelujah? Because the Holy Spirit comes to produce fruit in your life. Turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 5. This is so good. Galatians 5. And I want to show you something. Let's read about the fruit of the Spirit because I think there's a lot here that helps us understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I taught for two Sundays on gifts of the Spirit and gifts and fruit are different. Galatians 5 verse 16. Bible says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do you not fulfill the lust of the flesh? Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. For the spirit lusts against the, the flesh, lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. Now, what Paul's talking about is as the flesh is not just your body. The body is good. God created the body as good. What he's talking about here, sarks in the Greek, it's he also uses it as the sin principle in you. And so what God is saying is that principle of sin, that bent, as Saint Francis called it, that bent toward the wrong, that thing wants to lean in the wrong way. And the Spirit fights against that in your life. Come on, somebody. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Why? Because people who don't have any ethics or morality need laws. And the more wicked a society, the more laws you have to make. But when you have people who've been raised right and know how to treat other people, you can leave your doors unlocked. You can trust your neighbors. Come on, somebody. Because you've been raised right. Same thing in the spiritual. If you're obeying the law of the Spirit, you don't need all the legalistic rules and every little thing telling you how to live. The Spirit tells you how to live. But when you don't know how to live and aren't obeying the dictates of the Spirit, well, you're going to have to have something to keep you right. Y'all still love me? Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Why? Because the Spirit comes and just births those things in you. And those things grow and it takes time. There's a difference between gifts and, gifts and fruit. I can come to your house and give you a gift. All you have to do is receive it and open it. That's it. But I can't come and grow fruit in your garden 
immediately. It's going to take some time, a planting, a preparing the soil, a maturing, a birthing forth of that seed, a pruning back, a blah, on it. It takes time. So when the Spirit comes to us, He starts working in us this principle of holiness, bringing joy out as a fruit. So after you've been serving the Lord for a while, everybody else can be sad around you, but you're so happy, you don't even look right. You don't look right to the world because you're so happy. They're like, what's your problem? You got that fruit of the Spirit coming through you. And you go in some environments and people are so harsh and they're so mean and they're so uh, brash and you come in with this gentle spirit and people are thinking, what's wrong with you? You're totally different. Yeah, the Holy Ghost has been working on me for many years and He's been rubbing off the edges and He's been filing down the harsh lines and He's bringing a gentleness out of my spirit. Come on somebody, hallelujah. How can you love people like you love them even after they've done you wrong or spoken negative against you or written letters against you and I've had petitions against me and everything? How can you love people? You know what? Because the Holy Ghost had come in and shown me the love of Jesus and if He loves me that great, surely I can love some folk. And I love the King James macrothumia, which means patience, but in the King James and New King James, it's translated long-suffering. Why? Because patience really is a long-suffering. I'm going to walk with you over the long haul, and the Spirit is birthing that in my life, working that fruit in me. Come on, somebody, shout hallelujah. If you notice the first three, the first triad of the fruits of the Spirit's about our attitude toward God, Love, joy, peace. You know, the next three triad of the gifts of the fruits are really about our social relationships. They're long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. And then finally, the last three really deal with our conduct, our faithfulness, our gentleness, our self-control. So really, it's kind of like the, the Ten Commandments break down in a similar way. It's really like that, that God is concerned about our attitude toward Him, our attitude toward others, and how we conduct ourselves. And the Holy Spirit comes and builds fruit in our life in all three categories. That's what He's doing. So He's not just coming to make a shout. He's not just coming so we can have a great church service. He's not just coming so we can speak in tongues and prophesy. He's not just coming so we have get the discernment of spirit or miracles or whatever. He is coming. And I think His major work is to come and bring us to an end, to the teleos, to bring us to an end, and that is to be like Him. He's coming to make you more like Him. He's coming to bring you to full maturity. Gifts flow, fruit grows. Say that with me. Gifts flow, fruit grows. And they're not called fruits of the flesh because it was your brilliance that made you so loving or it was your ingenuity that made you so long-suffering. No, it's a fruit of the Spirit because He's the one working that in your heart. He's the one producing that fruit in you. Oh, hallelujah. That's why you're more valuable than you know. I'm telling you, well, you've been, you, you, you allowed the Lord to work in your heart, the Holy Spirit to have His way in your life. And then we get around you and we know this is a person who has substance. They have depth. 
They've been allowing the Spirit to toil, to prune back, to build in, to grow in their lives this fruit of the Spirit. They've been allowing this to happen over years and years and years, and that's God working that process of holiness in you. Used to, we thought holiness was just the way you dressed or how you cut your hair or whatever. And not saying some of that, you know, Paul said be modest. But holiness is so much broader and deeper. God is coming to adjust the passions of man. He's coming to work on the attitudes of people. He's coming to birth these fruit in you, these fruits in your life. Can somebody shout amen? amen? How many can raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want the Holy Spirit working in me? Come on. How many of you can declare that? I want the Spirit working in me. I want to be all that God wants me to be. The problem too, you know, sometimes if you imitate others according to the flesh, you get what they have in the flesh. H. Richard Hall used to teach us this. If you mimic only who a man is in the flesh, you get the flesh. Go after the Spirit. Go after the things of the Spirit. Brother Hall said years ago I was in a meeting and I'd always hear this guy in church got a prophecy come and he'd preach camp meeting. He said he was so good. And I wanted to be like him so much that I said whatever he's doing, I want to do it. So he said this guy was preaching camp meeting and every now and then he'd just stop and go and then go back to preaching. A few minutes later, he'd be preaching and stopping. And he'd go back to preaching. So Brother Hall said, here, I'm a young man. This guy was the, I wanted to be like him. So he said, they allowed me to preach. And so I got up and I preached. And every now and then, I'd stop and go. And he said, after the service, the old man came up to him and said, sons, you did a good job. But why did you keep doing this thing? He said, well, I saw you do it. And he said, son, my, my false teeth were, they were falling out, I, and I was just trying to keep them in. So when you imitate the flesh, you get the flesh. Let's go after the Spirit. Come on, somebody. Go after the fruits, the deep stuff. Come on, let's all stand. Hallelujah. Hey, I'm Hans Hess. Thank you so much for watching today. And I just pray that this service has been a great blessing to you. Listen, many of you out there have needs. You have needs physically. You want healing in your body or you have uh, oppression or anxiety you're dealing with or, or the weight of an addiction or sin in your life. Whatever the issue is, you know, Jesus can handle it. And I want to pray for you today before we leave here and just believe God for the best in your life. You're a winner in Christ. I've read the end of the book and we win in the end. So pray with me this brief prayer. Come on, mean it with all of your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, forgive me of all my sin and wash it away. Heal my body. Touch my mind, Lord. Bring total freedom to me today, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And if you said that, you can say amen. And you know what? Each time a sports team wins a victory, they always have a celebration. So why don't go ahead and right where you are and just thank God and give God some praise. Thanks for joining us. Stay in contact with us and come back and visit us.